In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time to get happy. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Gaiman. A fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness because happiness is a choice. And happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show, Harvesting Happiness. Lisa's going to shine a light on the well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. And as a filmmaker, psychologist, author, professor, and motivational speaker specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cypress-Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. In the show, she'll also focus on military families, service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and civilian life reintegration issues. So let's get to it. Harvesting Happiness on Tuggynet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Hello, everybody. I am. I love to share every morning where I'm coming to you from. And today I'm parked out in front of my house because I'm having a deck laid and they are pounding and drilling away like mad. And there are five men that I can't ask to stop for an hour. So I, here I am in one of my strange places uh, in my car broadcasting all around the world, and I think that's pretty cool. I'm here to talk with you today, as I am every Wednesday, about happiness, well-being, and human flourishing. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, the achievement of a happy life is not only good for us, but good for those around us. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to the collective flourishing of humanity on a global level. It's a positive virus. In short, happiness matters. It comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. With that, I'm here today with our wonderful guest, Jen Hancock. Jen Hancock is the author of The Humanist Approach to Happiness, Practical Wisdom. Jen Hancock is a resident of Manatee County, Florida, and is the former executive director of the Humanists of Florida Association. In addition to being the author of the book, The Humanist Approach to Happiness, she is also the writer and producer of an introduction to humanism on DVD. She is the Tampa Humanist and Free Thought Examiner uh, for uh, for examiner.com and writes a monthly freelance column about humanism for the Bradenton Herald newspaper. Finally, she writes the ha- that Happiness Through Humanism blog and podcast. Welcome, Jen. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I, that was a mouthful. <laughs> yes, it was. And you're probably sleepy from having people working on your house. <laughs> well, you know what? I am up at the crack of dawn. I'm usually up at around 5.30, and I've got two kids that I get off to school every day. Right. So I've already felt like I've lived, you know, one of my nine lives by, by 9 a.m. <laughs> Pacific time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, too funny. Um, and plus, I get to share all of the quirks of my uh, my, my broadcast career uh, with everybody, which is always great fun because it's always someplace else, uh, someplace different, and uh, usually there's some funny story attached to it. I want to share with our listeners just sort of the idiot's guide to humanism. What is a, what is a, what is a humanist? I mean, we're all uh, human. <laughs> yeah, we all are human, and that's kind of the starting point. We're all human. Hello. <laughs> exactly. Um, and but basically, a humanist is, you know, ethics for ethics' sake, right? Being a good person, helping other people makes us better humans, and it makes us feel better as humans. And so it's all about being a good person for the sake of being a, a good person. That being said, we're also concerned with the quality of our thinking because it's not enough to want to do good. If you don't think well about your problems, you could, about how you want to solve your problems, you could make things worse, right? So we spend just as much time thinking about how we think as we do about what we think. And that's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of thinking, yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot of thinking, but I, I, I will say that a great part of happiness comes from maybe not thinking so much, but doing. You know, it's, it's, it's the action. And, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, having positive thoughts or having, and having a, a positive life map for where you want to go and what you want to do is certainly a big part of identifying those things that we think will make us happy. But it really is in the, in the action, in the verb. That's right. That's right. You have to. What's the good of having good morals if you don't put them into action? <laughs> it's true. It's true. And what I love about your approach is it is a uh, very no nonsense. It sets aside a lot of the dogma and it says, you know, just what's wrong with having a good life? What's wrong with just en- enjoying what what we have? That's right. Because we don't know whether we're going to get another one, right? I mean, we might hope for it, but we don't know for sure. But for sure, we know we got this life. So we either make the best of it and try to make things better for everyone or, or what are we doing with our time here? Very, very true. Very true. And what I want to touch upon, because uh, my background is in spiritual psychology, and mm-hmm. what I love about sharing that is people go, what? What's that? You know, And it does fly in the face of the humanist approach mm-hmm. at, at first glance. And um, I am not a Bible thumper. I uh, really believe that um, a spiritual practice can be in the garden, it can be on the yoga mat, it can be right. in the kitchen cooking or baking. It's really uh, a different kind of definition of that sense of spirituality, which is really about interconnectedness. And right, and, and actually my last uh, column in the paper was about human spirituality. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. If you could share that with us, we will, we'll, we'll post it. Yeah, it's, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Um, but basically, you know, the concept of spirituality from a humanist is not supernatural. It's, it's the awareness of your practice day in and day out. It's your spirit of how you live. Like, it's the secular idea of spirit being your, your verve and your nerve and your, how you choose to go about things rather than anything supernatural. Would you say that... Um the humanist approach to happiness or the humanist, humanist approach to, to the good life is really almost a folklore wisdom. It's really, you know, what your grandma told you, you know, you're feeling bad, go out and take a walk, you know, um, 
you know, oh, yeah. eat, eat well, sleep well, uh, get up when the sun rises and, you know, rest when the sun sets. I mean, kind of basic stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not rocket science, right? And uh, humanism has been around as long as there's been humans and people keep rediscovering it for themselves because it really is that, it really is simple. Um, so a lot of what you think of as folk wisdom can often play into what humanism is. The point is for us humanists, we don't consider any one source as the only source for how to live a good life and how to be a good person, we'll take our knowledge and wisdom from anywhere we can find it. So uh, folk wisdom is part of it, you know, literature is part of it, movies. <laughs> Wherever there's knowledge on how to be a better person, you know, we, we consider it valid. So, Well, it, it's interesting in that I, I've created this documentary film with my daughter, H Factor, right. Where Is Your Heart? And one of the people that we interviewed who is not in the rough cut but is in the longer version of the film is Annie Laurie Geller. Mm-hmm. And... Um, she is the head of the Free Thinkers, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about, yeah. Annie Lloyd, and, yeah. And um, she really uh, was so powerful in her interview talking about just the, the power in being a good person, uh, the mm-hmm. power of kindness, the power of gratitude, the, the power of living a life that is suitable to your calling. And, you know, setting aside sort of the mumbo jumbo or cycle babble, it made perfect common sense. Yep, it does. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's like when you strip away all the stuff that doesn't make sense from all the different traditions of the world, right? And, and every tradition has its its bits that you think, gosh, it would probably be better without that little bit, but I like everything else, right? What you end up with, that commonality across the traditions, is probably the humanism, the humanism part. Because it really doesn't matter, you've been all over the world, it really doesn't matter where you go, people tend to value the same things. And if they've come to this place of wisdom, they usually say pretty much the same thing. Service to others helps you be a happier person. Indeed. And there is spiritual practice in that. There can be, yeah, in yeah, in, in in the service, and not in, in a in a necessarily a, a a godlike way, or where one is you know guaranteed uh, a higher standing in the afterlife, which we're not sure of, but really just in 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 the present life, and and it's really about mindfulness. It's about an approach right. to life that is completely aware of what you're doing, as to mm-hmm. the to the to the best of our ability, because we can only be aware of, of what we're doing based upon the facts we have at the time. Right. Um, and it, it, they're the simple pleasures, the simple things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, my favorite quote, you just reminded me, my favorite quote is, um, I think, from John Stuart Mill, which is, the only obligation we ever have at any time is to do what we think is right. And, you know, I've always lived by that because we might get what we think is right right now might change as we gain more knowledge. You know, but we can only do the best we can at the time that we can do it and then be open to doing it better in the future. And I believe it involves part of the Hippocratic oath that doctors and medical professionals take about doing no harm. Right. That, yeah. that, is, that, <laughs> that is a really critical component. And I like to say to people in workshops, you know, if it's kind and legal, it's probably pretty good. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, or as one of my friends said, just don't be a jerk. 
You know, that's true. That's that's a good one. Don't be a jerk. Um, when we, We're going to go to a break shortly, and I would really like to introduce our listeners to the concept of, the, of free thought and the free thinkers, because unbeknownst to many of us, there are many free thinkers amongst us, and they mm-hmm. are well-known if we look yep. back in history. And I think that would be really interesting for um, our listeners to understand where the free thinkers came from, what it's about, and that it is not bereft of morality, of virtues, and I have to say, in 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 an everyday kind of uh, wisdom way, a a spiritual sense. Excellent. Um, We've got 30 seconds to break, and um, there's another thing I would like to talk about, and there are two things that you talk about in your book about the rule of threes Mm -hmm. and the true holy trinity and we will (laughs) discuss these things with jen hancock who has a humanist approach to happiness in her writing in her teaching and in her way of showing up in the world this is lisa cypress cayman and you're listening to harvesting happiness talk radio from my car and we will be back shortly here come the tunes know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity we'll be right back to explain how on harvesting happiness with lisa cypress Kamen on toginet.com a part of the grateful good grateful nation brings together patients families friends and staff of beth israel deaconess medical center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Come be a part of Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio. Her goal is to inspire you to be creative every day. Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio, Monday afternoons at 4, 3 Central on Toginet.com. Pat lives and breathes being creative through her quilt design business, but her creativity and interests have no bounds. On her show, she'll be introducing us to guests through interviews and talks that have a creative life. We'll learn more about what goes on in the world of quilting. And since Pat, like many of us, is creative in many ways, she'll also introduce us to creative people in other crafts like knitting, crochet, paper arts, and lots more. Pat is also an author, a lecturer, designer, and cheerleader of many. She's tried her hand at making almost everything you can think of and does many crafts to keep her inspired to create. Check out her website, patsloan.com. What makes Pat most happy is to inspire others to be creative every day. So join us for Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio, Monday afternoons at 4, 3 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Cayman. 
Welcome back, everyone. Here I am broadcasting to you today from my car. And our <laughs> wonderful guest, Jen Hancock, who is a humanist, an author, and a teacher, is coming to us from Florida. Welcome back, Jen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm in a nice air-conditioned house. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Well, I, I suppose I'm, I'm in an air-conditioned house. It's just a shoebox-sized house, and I'm very, <laughs> great, I'm very, very grateful for it in the moment. Um, prior to the break, we were talking about the free thinkers, and mm-hmm. there are an, a very illustrious cast of characters who are the free thinkers and humanists in our world, and I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners who they might be. Sure. What people don't realize, because humanism isn't taught as like a subject very often in the schools, but some of the most influential people in our society have been free thinkers and humanists. Um, for instance, pretty much everybody knows the name Albert Einstein and knows what he's famous for. What people don't know is he was one of the founding members of the first humanist society of New York, along with Julian Huxley. You want to know who else was in that group? Helen, uh, Helen Keller. So, you know, and it goes on. We, we've got Carl Sagan, we've got Kurt Vonnegut, we've got Isaac Asimov, and, you know, we can go on. There's 22 Nobel laureates living alive today that are acknowledged humanists. We're pretty and, influential. And when you say acknowledged humanists, it means that they are, they are ascribing their values to being virtuous and not necessarily assigning it to religion or God. Exactly. What Kurt Vonnegut once said was, um, being a humanist, and this is a paraphrase, I don't have the quote exactly, but being a humanist means I believe in being a good person, not because, here and now, and not because of any expectation of reward or punishment after I die. Amen! Right? Yeah, exactly, I mean, exactly. It's, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's about, you know, living your, 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 right, your right life in the moment, and aspiring to your greatness here, not some place that may or may not exist. And it may. I mean, none of us will know until we get there. Right. But wouldn't you, you know, isn't it better to make the bet that this is the only life you have and not waste it? (laughs) True, true. And I also thought Benjamin Franklin was a free thinker. He was a free thinker. Thomas Jefferson was a free thinker. They were acknowledged free thinkers. That's different. The word humanist only came into vogue to describe a person in the late 1800s. So prior to that, you have people saying that they're free thinkers, but not, they wouldn't have used the word humanist to describe themselves unless they were a classical scholar. Aha. Uh-huh. So the, uh, the, the, the uh, designation of being a humanist comes with um, education. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You know, people, people aren't likely to call themselves a humanist unless they've been educated to know what humanism is in the first place, right? <laughs> Most people that come to humanism come to it on their own and are really surprised that there's a movement in the history behind the philosophy. I mean, I was. I was raised as a humanist, but we never used that term. This is just how you are. You're, this is how you be a good person. These are the skills that, the free thought skills and the critical thinking skills that go into decision making. This is the values about, you know, how you care about other people and compassion. We didn't have a name for it. That's just how you are a good person. Turns out there's actually a philosophy that's shared by everybody who kind of thinks that way, and it's called humanism. How did you get into the humanism business? 
Well, like I said, I was raised as a humanist, and my mom says I'm third generation on her side, and I'm probably third or fourth generation on my dad's side as well, knowing his background, because people, you know, we've got abolition. Like, my great uncle helped found the Republican Party with Abraham Lincoln and, and wrote actively on the cause of abolition, and you pretty much weren't an abolitionist if you were white, unless you were a free thinker or a humanist. <laughs> so, so I'm pretty sure I'm third generation on, on both sides of my family. But again, we didn't use that term. That wasn't a term we used. It was just, this is how you are as a good person. When I moved to Florida, I went to a, a humanist conference, not because I cared about humanism, but because one of the speakers I was a really big fan of. I was a fan of Piers Anthony, the author of the Zant series and, and stuff like that. And I wanted to go see him talk. And I'm sitting in this room with a whole bunch of humanists slowly realizing Wow, you mean my piecemeal philosophy that I put together for myself isn't a piecemeal philosophy, it's actually called humanism, and I'm in a room of people who believe the exact same stuff I do, even though I came to it on my own? Really? <laughs> and then the rest is history. They, at some point they needed an executive director, and I was looking to make a change out of the corporate world and got hired and spent the next seven years talking to people about humanism and, and learned a lot in the process. So. Let's uh, before we go on to the rule of threes and the true holy trinity. I want to touch a little bit upon your background prior to your humanism career. You mm -hmm. said you were in the corporate world, and can you share with us what you did and what was the turning point for you? Um, okay, well, you know, I had sold international franchise licenses um, for an environmental firm. Um, I had just prior to taking the job with the humanist, I was um, the manager of acquisition information, acquisition group information for a half billion dollar M&A firm. And I hope you realize that manager of acquisition group information spells magi. <laughs> <laughs> and when you, and trust me, if they let you choose your own title, go for something with a cool acronym. Um, Anyways, you know, the market started to to slow down a little bit. Our funders didn't want us diversifying. And um, pretty much everybody was thinking, gosh, well, you know, this is getting old, what we were doing. Um, and we had created a matrix management system to manage our acquisitions. And we were doing about eight or nine a week, worth about $25 million every week. It was fun. Um, but then, you know, you get bored and you can't diversify, and the, market, the money was leaving the market for acquisitions at that time. And the humanists of Florida needed someone. And I talked to my husband. I said, I'd really like to do this. I'd like to go back into the nonprofit world because I'd worked in nonprofit before, and I really enjoyed it. And he agreed, and so we took the pay cut, and I went into work at a nonprofit group for very little money and had the time of my life and met really, really interesting and cool people. So in your former life, you were basically a suit. You know, you, you came from a very conventional <laughs> uh, business background. And Except that I never wore a suit and you'll never find me in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> the suitless suit in the corporate world. Right, right. I turned down a job one time at a think tank because all I could think is, they're going to make me wear shoes here. <laughs> That's very funny. That's funny. And that's the beauty of radio. You can, like, show up in your sweats, you know? Right, right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, that's my uniform today. Sweats in my car. Here it is. Yep, 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 yep. My corporate image of happiness. Right. Um, 
and I also want to talk to you. You know, I want to get to these other couple of points, but you you keep bringing up some very salient points to the happiness path, which is discovering one's sense of passion and place and meaning in the world. And it sounds like that came to you through this um, the humanism movement. Oh yeah, I mean it. it, it to say it changed my life is an understatement. I mean, I was always a humanist. But having the opportunity to actively promote it, to talk to people about it. You know, when you're the executive director of, the, of a humanist organization, right, you go to a party and people ask you what you do for a living, and you say, well, I'm the executive director for the Humanist of Florida Association, the very first question out of people's mouth is, what is humanism? Right? And it leads to some really cool and interesting conversations. <clears throat> On top of that, you know, the people that make up the humanist movement are really fascinating, interesting people. I mean, I've had lunch with a guy who walked on the moon. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly, right? Wow. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, and so, so to say that it changed my world, it's like, this is, this is important. This is what I learned. Not only, it's not just the personal philosophy. The world can be made a better place by talking to people about these simple truths of the philosophy, you know, how we approach looking at other people through compassion, how we go about solving problems. It's really, really effective. And, you know, I really believe the world would be a better place if more people took these simple lessons. And, and when people read my book, they say, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's stuff you kind of already know, but it helps you think about it in a slightly different way and implement it better in your life. And that's all well, we're doing. So, well, I, you know, and, and the funny thing is, you, I have this image of you at a party saying, "Well, you know, I'm, you're the executive director," you know, and, and people ask you, "Well, what is a humanist?" And do you say, "Well, you know, you already know half the answer"? <laughs> um, kind of, you know. Well, the, the, what's going through people's mind is exactly what you said at the very beginning. Well, I'm a human. <laughs> Does that make me a humanist, right? Um, and, you know, so it's just a matter of, of it depends on what people want. Some people want a more in-depth conversation. Some people just want the quick and dirty, and then they want to move on to talking to someone else. <laughs> so <laughs> it all depends. You know, the very first thing is it's the applied study of what it means to be a good human being. But there's a lot. It's like any good philosophy. It's deceptively simple and very, very complex. So you can go into this for your entire lifetime. I mean, there's, the entire human history is filled with examples of humanism. You can study this forever and not get to the depth of it. So, Well, we're going to go to the break in two minutes, and I'm hoping that this time we can get to the rule of threes. <laughs> okay. you know, so let's, let's just let's get to it. Let's plant the seed here to grow some humanists. All right. Yes. Okay. So we have, what, two minutes, right? Um, quickly, the rule of threes is the, way, is the way I teach people how to start free thought, free thinking, which is one of the tools we humanists use on how we think about the moral problems. Um, and it's really, really super important. It involves critical thinking skills, but those aren't very easy to teach. So I came up with the rule of threes as a way to teach it. And can you share the rule of threes? Oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. It's when you're thinking about a problem. Well, I thought maybe I'd just tease it for the next segment. Oh, <laughs> um, oh okay. Well, yeah, we, we, can do, we can do that. I thought I was going to get to the, uh, the speed the answer. potatoes. No, we but can we do can. it real quick. Let's tease, and in the meantime, okay. share with our listeners where they can find you, where they can find yeah. your book, where they can find your DVD. Just All right, the best. It. The best place to go is my website, which has links to everything. It's www.gen.com dot 
com. Excellent. And um, your book is available in a downloadable format. Is it available in paper? It's in, available in paper and in ebook. So you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, places like that, and also at any of the ebook stores. We are going to go to the break. The tunes are coming soon, and I am with Jen Hancock, and we are talking about the humanist approach to happiness. We will be right back, and we will continue. We will really, 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 really explain the rules of threes this time. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be right back. We know that life is tough, and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. LinkedIn. It's a great tool. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady. With the LinkedIn Lady Show, Wednesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is here to show you and your business how every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose that can benefit you. The LinkedIn Lady will have interviews each week with a variety of guests, such as business owners who will showcase their businesses and talk about how they're using social media to stay in touch with not only customers, but to attract new relationships that become customers. Other guests will be experts in social media who will speak to the use of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, Plaxo, Squidoo, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. Join us, won't you, every Wednesday afternoon at 5, 4 Central. It's the LinkedIn Lady Show with host Carol McManus on toginet.com. Hello, everybody. This is Pete Dix asking if you'll join me on Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. What a show I've got in store for you. Not only all the Apple reissues that I'll be looking at, some very rare tracks indeed, a report on my evening watching and listening to Neil Innes the Ruttles and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. So please join me, Pete Dix, with Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Welcome back, everyone. I am here today with Jennifer Hancock. She is a humanist, an author, and a teacher. And prior to the break, we were talking about what she calls the rule of threes, which is a process or approach to teaching the basics of free thought. Welcome back, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Shall we just dive right into what the dive rule of threes right are? Dive right in. Yes, dive. <laughs> okay. So the rule of threes is basically a reminder to yourself. It has two, two things, right? One is to expand your thinking. The, the second aspect is to help then refocus your thinking. What happens is when people are trying to solve their problems, a lot of times we get stuck in considering black and white. We forget to look for the grays, and usually the solutions to our problems 
are not black and white, they're in the grays. So the rule of three is to remember to think of at least three options, maybe more. And if you can't think of three, you're not really trying. For instance, what are you going to get for dinner tonight? What are you going to do for dinner tonight? Are you going to eat in, take out, go someplace, go grill? I mean, there's four right there, right? You can at least think of three minimum. And that's a, that's a way to start the practice of expanding your thinking through free thought. What happens is that we all have assumptions. We all have biases. There are social taboos in there as well. And then there's accepted common knowledge. What the free thinker tries to do is to make sure we're not limiting our thinking and therefore missing the obvious because of those limitations. So by thinking, forcing yourself to think of at least three, if not more possible scenarios to your problem, you do a better job of then having those options to look at as potential solutions to your problem. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And um, I would love to add to that, that it is oftentimes our self-limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. that trip us up, that that, that render us in a place of non-action because we say, I can't more easily than I can. Right, right. And, and, and the problem is, of course, when you've thought about, of, it, once you get started on three, you go to four, five, six, seven, eight, right? And then you have to use that rule of threes, again, to limit which are the most likely out of these brainstorming that you just did on your potential solutions, which of these, th- which three are the most likely to give you the best results. So you use it both to expand your thinking and to focus you on what might really work to give you the best and then you can focus. You're not like researching 12 solutions. You're researching three to find the one that's going to be actually work for you. It, it, it makes perfect sense. And it's just, it's, it's, it's good practice. It's good practice when trying to find a solution. You know, let, let, let's see if we can make it directly relatable to something that's going on, you know, around us right now. We've, we're in a recession or right. we're, we're being told that we're on our way out of it. But, you know, for many of us, there are there are many challenges. There are economic challenges. There's right. um, being displaced from, from work that we've done for many years in some cases. And really what's required from this process in order to thrive again is um, being a good thinker, thinking outside the box, trying to solve the solutions through the gray. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, even when you think about, you know, like what I'm doing right now, right? Okay, I'm selling a book, right? That's that's my job right now is selling my book. Great. Well, you know, if I think, oh, I'm just going to do this and this and that's going to be it, I'm never going to get that book sold. I have to constantly be thinking outside the box and adding more possible solutions to that to find new avenues to get the word out. Right. And, and make it as joyful a process as exactly. possible in the doing because it's in, that, in, the, um, in the joy that one finds more creativity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If it's not fun, you, should, you, you know, you might have to do it for work, but if it's not fun, you know, you need to, to, to try and find a way to make it fun or find something else if you can. This economy is not, obviously not the best economy for everybody to pursue their, their, their happiness, obviously, but um, in normal economies, yeah. And it, but at the same time, right, some people are being forced into self-employment, and that's a perfect time. What does bring you passion? What, what are you passionate about? What can you do that you could possibly make money on that you enjoy? Indeed. Indeed. No, this, is, this is a great tip. The rule of threes, everyone, to, to brain dump 
you know, at least three solutions onto a page or into a conversation when you're trying to get to a solution to an issue. And from that, inevitably, there'll become more and more ideas. And that's where these where the ideas germinate and solutions come and progress is made. Exactly. Exactly. But it's not just about yourself. You know, it's, it's trying to figure out, like one of the examples I use is politics, right? We, you know, a lot of times we're told that we only have one of two solutions. We either do A or we do B. We either go with the Democrats or we go with the Republicans. And we're not always told that, gee, there's also, we could do neither <laughs> or we could do something that hasn't been proposed yet. You know, so it's, it's it's a habit of mind, you know, to get in the habit of thinking beyond either or, and to know when someone's presenting you something as either or, that they are they are limiting your choices arbitrarily. And there's something very empowering in oh, yeah. th- this rule of threes, you know, of saying I'm going to take full charge of. Uh, cultivating a solution, because I think it is a a cultivation process. It's not a slam dunk that you have ideas for how you're going to solve an issue and it's necessarily going to work. It's a, it's a process. It's trial and error. And, you know, you keep working as with any good thing. When you put in the elbow grease, you reap the reward. Right. But it, it starts with the optimism. You're absolutely right. You have to believe that there's a potential solution out there for you to find in order to even start the process of trying to find it. I would say there's always a solution of some kind. Yeah, I, I would agree. I agree with that. But you have to believe it in order to even go looking for it. Yes, and even people who are in the most dire of circumstances, and I've seen a fair amount of it, you know, certainly with what has happened in this economy, personally what's affected my family and people around me, and I have to say that even in the darkest hour, there are always solutions. You know, the outcome may not be as we had hoped or designed, but there's always a way out of every single problem. Yeah. And and the number of people who don't try is always shocking to humanists. I mean, we're always, you know, there's people when a hurricane's coming, don't evacuate because they think, well, if I'm meant to die right now, I'm meant to die and there's nothing I can do. You know what? There is something you could do. You could go to a hurricane shelter. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always there's always something to be done. There's a, a a quote, and I have no idea who it's by, but it's very funny. And it's and the quote is, "If you want to win the lottery, you have to buy the ticket." That's right. You got to do something. You know, you, you can't be <laughs> you know you can't be in a place of non-action. A pity party usually is not the solution because all it does is end up boring your friends and family after a while right. because it's very it's repetitive. So true. <laughs> It's very, very, very true. Yep. I think I have advice in my book, too, on on how to cope with someone who's engaged in a continuous pity party. (laughs) Do we slap them a little? No, no. Um, What I used to do, I had a friend who was just constantly in a pity party. Every time you met her, there was something going wrong that was more than she could handle. And and I would just start giving her my list of things that weren't right in my life. Because everybody's got a list of, if you think about it, you can come up with a list, of a really long list of things that you would like to have changed in your life. Most of us just get on with changing them, right, and working on them and trying to make things better. But some people just wallow. So when I come across someone who's giving me their list, I give them my list. And they don't like that. They don't like to listen to your list. They want you to listen to their list. <laughs> so they go away and, and give their list to someone else. Well, because they want us to be complicitous in yeah. the loop. Right. Rather than, you know, 
say, well, you know, there may be another way of looking at this. And that is where hope, optimism, belief, and resiliency yeah. play a big part in, in the happiness process. You know, those that do better probably possess a higher quantity or strength of those skills. Or they're just willing to apply them and not accept the status quo, <clears throat> you know. Some people like the status quo. I don't, I'm not a big fan of status quo. <laughs> no, my, myself either. Um, I want to talk about the true Holy Trinity. I love this. Oh, good. <laughs> share, share with us the true Holy Trinity. Okay, the true Holy Trinity are character traits that really matter. A, a lot of times we get stuck on um, trying to figure out who our friends are going to be and whether we should trust strangers based on really arbitrary accidents of birth, their skin color, their social class, um, things like that. And, and what I say is, look, th that's not what really matters. What really matters is whether the person is ethical, responsible, and compassionate. All right? I don't care what, belie what they believe or don't believe. I care about how they act. And they're either acting in an ethical, responsible, compassionate way or they're not. And that's how those are the traits I cultivate in myself. And those are the traits I look for in others. And if they're missing one of those, then you're going to have problems with them. If they're, if they're responsible and compassionate but not ethical, they're dishonest, you're going to have problems with them. If they're ethical but not responsible, you're going to have problems with them. And if they're, not, if they're lacking compassion, you're going to have a huge amount of problems with them. So that's, what the, the true, that's the character traits that really matter, the true Holy Trinity that really matters. That's very good common sense. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> My original title for the book was going to be The Wisdom of Common Sense. Not a bad title, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the ne your next book. Your next book. Well, the next book is going to be for advanced thinkers. <laughs> All the metaphysical stuff about fear and dying and death and finding meaning in life and stuff like that. This, this book has, you know, dating and sex and poop and grief in it, so... And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and nothing we're wrong gonna, with that. <laughs> we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get on to all or some of those um, uh, events in, in in a bit. We're we're gonna go to a break. Um, and uh, I would like to touch upon responsibility because one's own happiness really lies in our own lap. Yeah, and in you our, can't see what I'm doing right now, but I've got big head nods going on. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Big head nods. Responsibility is key. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. and, Amen to uh, that, it, sister. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's responsibility. It's accountability. It's like, you know, life is not always happy. And in, right. in those not-so-happy moments, how are we going to be with ourselves? What are we going to do about it? What are we going to uh, do to bring equanimity back into our sphere? And I think that that is part of the common sense approach that you talk about in your work. And certainly I talk about in my work, you know. Oh, yeah. It is, uh, it, there's not, there's no hocus pocus. There aren't any big secrets within the secret, you know, the, the, right. the, the secret or the key to human happiness from, you know, years of research really is starting with the self. That's right. And then expanding, looking out towards to see how you can make not only your life better, but everybody else's as well. Clearly. Yeah. It, it, this is not the self for selfishness. It's the self for, in, for selflessness. You know, right. if you make yourself uh, the best person that you can be, you know, uh, living a life that really is in alignment with, you know, good values. Are we going? Oh, here come the tunes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <Are> we back. <laughs> <laughs> 
is my heart. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cyphers Kamen on Toginet.com. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Okay, we're back. I'm paying attention to the music now. <laughs> I'm still in my car, by the way, broadcasting, which is really a hoot because I'm seeing all the uh, construction people move in and out. But anyway, I'm here with Jennifer Han- Hancock, and we are talking about the humanist approach to happiness. And prior to the break, we were talking about the Holy Trinity of of ethics really mattering in this pursuit of a good life and pursuit of happiness. We were talking about responsibility and accountability to be our own best self so we can in turn serve others. And um, I want to chat a little bit about uh, the book, what you hope to accomplish with the book. And then one of your talking points, which I absolutely love and I want to get into is um, what is the humanist approach to sex? Because that'll always grab people's <laughs> attention. So- <laughs> okay. So, well, it, it, it ties into sex. The reason I wrote this book ties into sex. Um, okay. So I'm one of those people that young people come to talk to. Um, I've always had younger people, you know, teenagers and things like that come to me because I, I don't judge them the way other people might. I'm willing to listen to them and give them advice, and my advice, generally speaking, is, is fairly good if I don't say so myself. One time my neighbor's daughter came to me, 
and told me she was upset that her boyfriend hadn't called her. And it turned out this wasn't her boyfriend. It, it was a boy that she had had sex with but never dated. And she was absolutely shocked when I said this boy wasn't her boyfriend and that he probably wasn't going to be calling her again because her mother had never told her the rules about dating, what constitutes dating, what constitutes a relationship, how sex fits into all of that. And I thought to myself, someone needs to write a book for people like her whose parents kind of failed them in teaching them some basic knowledge about how to navigate the really important relationships in our life. And so once you have the thought, someone should write a book, it's kind of your responsibility to do it. So I did. Um, And, you know, I wanted to tie in, you know, obviously I'm a humanist and how I approach problem solving and navigating the world is as a humanist. So I wanted to tie in those principles and teach those principles of free thought and, and ethics and then say, how do we apply these skills to dating, to our finances, to our relationships, to grief? And, and so that's really what the book is about. And sex obviously falls into relationships. <laughs> so, so how do we apply being an ethical, compassionate, responsible person, knowing that our actions have consequences to sex is, I think, the question you want to ask, right, Lisa? Yeah, well, I just, I was uh, not specifically about the act of sex, although we can, we can, you yeah, know, not the act of sex, the we're ethics. free to talk about anything here. But <laughs> I, I, what I liked is that it's, it, it's an attention grabber, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so yes, let's, let's talk about it. it and it is about having good decision making skills, who right. we are going to engage with, who we're going to become physically, emotionally intimate with. And that really is the issue as I, as I hear you. Right, because not all, like, you have freedom of action. You can do pretty much anything you want, but that doesn't mean anything you want to do is going to bring you happiness, right? So it's up to you as an individual and all your listeners out there as individuals to decide for themselves what's going, what actions are going to give, maximize their happiness and which ones are going to hurt them and to make that decision before you act, <laughs> Yes. And this is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's really easy to see this when it comes to sex, because if you're having sex with com- several strangers who you don't know their health status of, you're putting yourself at risk. There's no guarantee that they're going to hurt you. There's no guarantee that you're going to get a sexually transmitted disease, but you increase the likelihood that you might get one of those things by having sex with random strangers on the street, right? So choosing, and that's not to say people shouldn't do that. That's up to them to decide what they can handle and not handle. The, the, the idea, though, is your actions have consequences, so choose your actions wisely. And, you know, from the ethical standpoint, everybody should know what they're getting into when it comes to sex. Everybody involved should know what they're getting into, um, you know, and you should be honest about your status. Are you free? Are you married? Um, do you have an STD? You know, things that your partner should know about before you get involved with them. That's the ethical part for us. We don't care how many and what their genders are. We just care that everybody is going in, you know, with full knowledge of of what the decision entails and what the potential consequences are. After that, that's your business. So, I hear you. And I'd like to take the same premise and, you know, go a little bit deeper emotionally in terms of coping with grief. You know, a lot of the work that I'm doing now is with returning military personnel who are coming home um, with, uh, you know, a lot of combat trauma, a lot of issues related to their deployment. The family unit is disrupted by their departure, by their return. There are a lot of dynamics. And um, 
I, I'm hoping that you can offer some really common sense pearls of wisdom to, it's not just this segment of the population, but all right. of us who are or will or have uh, experienced grief, trauma, tragedy. Right. And the, the, the basic key is, is that grief is a normal emotion. I mean, there's certain things that happen to you that are so traumatic, you are going to feel it. And yeah, those feelings are hard. And most people would rather feel anything other than grief. It's a very, very, very difficult emotion to feel. But you have to remember, it's just an emotion. It's okay that you feel it in the moment. The key is to let it flow, allow yourself to feel it, and also let it go in those moments when you're not thinking about it. Um, a lot of times people want to hold on to, they either want to push it away. This is people's re- general response to grief, right? They don't want to experience it, so they push it away and try to pretend they're, they're not experiencing it even though they are. And then they're always experiencing low levels of it and their life is miserable because you can't push grief away. You're going to experience it whether you want to or not in certain situations. The other thing, though, is that some people try to hold on to it, especially if you've lost a child. A lot of people will hold on to that grief and not let it go because they think, if I let it go, I'm, doing, I'm giving a disservice to that which I'm, I'm grieving. You know, whether it's a friend you lost in battle or, or a child or whatever. And that's not the right, you can't, you can't hold on to it either. That's not natural either. You have to let it flow and let it go. And I kind of equate it with the tides, right? It comes and it goes. And that's okay. And no one, no one grieves quite the same way as anybody else. The point is you're allowed to feel grief. It's perfectly okay to feel grief. It hurts. But it's there, but you're not going to be experiencing it 100% of the time, all the time. It's going to ebb. If, if all that happens is you cry and then you fall asleep, you're not experiencing the grief while you're sleeping. And that's a blessing, right? And eventually what happens is if you let it flow, you're not afraid to experience the emotions, other emotions will start supplanting it. It's not unusual for people to find humor in the midst of their grief, and that's okay too. You know, so you let it flow, you let the tears flow, and then you also let it go when your brain wants to move on and think of something else. That's okay, too. And I think it's important to say, it's responsible to say that if the grief uh, is not able to be moved through, uh, when grief becomes insurmountable or life becomes too difficult and you you are in a place of paralysis, it's time to go get help. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when I lost my daughter, I joined a support group, um, you know, because I needed, I needed the help. I needed to be around other people who specifically understood what it was I was going through, um, you know, and I went and did that until I, I didn't feel like I needed it anymore. And some people need more of that than others, and, and that's all fine, too. There's no one right way to grieve. <laughs> no, there is no, you know, grievers manual out there. And it kind of comes with, uh, you know, the, the handbook for parenting, which, you know, they do not give you in the hospital or, right. you know, when you have your birth. But right. I, 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 I want to just pick up on one thing you said about the loss of your daughter. I did not know that you have lost a child. And I think it, this is really good information to share as being a, a humanist, you know, that, sure. that you have experienced the, the gamut of human emotion and look what you are able to share of yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and, and that, was, that was about as bad as the stock. I mean, I've been stalked, too. You know, I was at a point where I was afraid to leave the house because of being stalked. So, yeah, you know, the, I think that what's different in the humanist approach to grief is that we're determined to keep living and we're determined to be happy eventually. Again, we know we're not going to be happy in the moment because 
grief is grief, right? You're not going to be happy in the middle of grief. But we're determined to live life to the fullest despite it all. And that's our goal. So, you know, we do what we need to do. If we need to get professional help to help us, we do that. Um, you know, so yeah, you know, but the goal, the goal is to continue living and having made that decision, why would I want to be miserable for the rest of my life? I don't, (laughs) no one consciously makes that decision, right? So, but we consciously make that decision so that we know what we're working towards. Well, it's really the pragmatist guide to, to living. It's, you know, and, and I, I applaud you for, for bringing this work out in the light because Often we hear, you know, the humanist approach or the free thinker approach. For those of us that have heard it and, and for those of us who are newly introduced to it, we think that it's some heady concept. And really, it's quite, quite the contrary. Right. It's just really basic. It's not rocket science. It's really common sense stuff with a, few, a little twist on it in terms of how you focus your thinking. Um, are you going to be presenting your work in workshop format, lecture format, video format, any other format? Well, we know you've got a video on, on right. board here, but any, uh, f- uh, any way that our listeners can reach out to you beyond the website? Are there any sure. forms? Um, I give talks and lectures, and I'm available to come to groups. I also do Skype presentations. I've, I do teleseminars on this as well, and I've done a webinar, and actually those are available on my website. If you sign up for my mailing list, I'll send you links of the video of my last webinar um, so you can see that. Um, but, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, speak, talk, write books, columns, blogs. You're out there. You're out there yeah, in the out ethers, uh, wanting to connect, easily connectable to. And uh, I have to say, I, I had uh, signed up to attend your webinar, and I couldn't. I had an emergency that came up. So I will be checking out the webinar because I'm I, personally very interested in, in all that you have to say because it's uh, like drinking the same Kool-Aid over here <laughs> and harvesting happiness. And, uh, you know, we do, we do spin it a little bit with, with some spiritual content, um, but that's what free thinking is all about, to be able to assimilate that which works and discard that which doesn't. Right. Uh, we are rolling towards the end of the show, and that was, you know, a rapid-fire hour and <laughs> a lot of fun. And you're just a pleasure to have on. And oh, I good. Hope, Thank you. <laughs> I hope you'll, you'll, you'll come back again in the future when you've got your second book or some more <laughs> activities related, um, you know, on the way. And I wanted to uh, leave with a couple of thoughts before we part. Happiness cool. is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Thanks for joining us and uh, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder actions, and the kindest words. Take care. Thank you for being a part of Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. We'll do this again next Wednesday morning at 10, 11 Central here on Togedat.